Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 27. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 27. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. And we're here today to discuss another chapter of Not a Fan. Chapter 11 is where today finds us. We were partway through chapter 11. We think that we left off on around page 161 or 162, somewhere in that neighborhood. And as I kind of go through my notes from the chapter, it seems to me that we're just continuing on the same theme of are you doing it the right way? Are you doing it enough? And the way to to know if you're doing it enough or the right way is whether there's pain involved because um, if there's no pain, it really doesn't count. It's kind of the message that I take from what he's laying down here. So I'm not sure... I don't know. I'm kind of questioning how much time to spend on this chapter. I guess the conclusion I'm starting to come to is each chapter seems to be more uh, of the same of the previous chapter, just a little louder, uh, laced with a little more guilt and uh, trying to motivate the motivate the folks reading this. So I don't know. I had a couple of insights that are sort of tangential, uh, but curious... Uh, what you were, what your thoughts are. Well, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I guess th- that it's, it's kind of more of the same. Um, I, I, d- I do have a, a series of symbols that I use to um, notate anything I'm reading. And one of those symbols is the unhappy face. And I have um, more unhappy faces in like four or five pages in this book than I can recall in any of the book I've read, and particularly, I guess, four or five pages of this chapter, chapter 11. Um, man, I, I guess if we kind of start around uh, page 162, I, I just have so many concerns, you know, with with his orientation. Um, he's got this... Uh, Jesus takes the most despised and rejected symbol of his time. I'm reading from the end of the first paragraph on 162. Takes the most despised and rejected symbol of his time and says, if you want to follow me, take this up. He invites us to die. And I thought, you know, I I liked the despised and rejected symbol and taking that up. You know, and, and... what is this an invitation to do? It's an invitation to orient ourselves to our culture and society as Jesus did for the reasons that he did it. You know, this whole idea that we're supposed to die and like, he's totally, he's totally, again, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I've come to bring life and life abundantly, you know, love God with all your heart and all your soul, love yourself and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these things never touches on any of them. He never, you know, and, and as far as they're in my Bible, I'm, be, I'm getting, I'm be, guessing they're in your Bible, and I'm guessing they're in his Bible too. 
So I don't know why it is he doesn't, he never touches on these things. He never brings them up. He never says, you know, I'm talking about sacrifice and suffering, but, but you have to understand it's in the context of, you know, you're, you need to love yourself. And God, God loves you tremendously. And, you know, this whole idea of self-effacement, we've gone over this many, many times. But, but I guess if we take a look at this and we step a, a little bit back from this and we see that, yeah, Jesus does take, ask us to take a despised and rejected symbol. I remember last time we were talking about the fact that the cross is, is uh, ultimately shameful. You know, it's not only about um, killing somebody. It's killing them in a very disgraceful way. And that the, the currency, that the really kind of core uh, commodities in antiquity, in the first, cent in first century Palestine, were honor and shame. Being shamed was terrible. It was a loss of everything. Losing face was huge. And so when we're talking about it, you see, there, there, there are these little pieces in here that make sense and that I, I, would, I would agree with. Despise and reject it. So I would say doing, you know, orienting ourselves to our culture as Jesus did for the reasons that he did it. In other words, doing the right thing for the right reasons. Why did Jesus do it? And we're coming back to that question of why? Because he loved us and he loved God. I, I would say, too, he loved himself. And what did Jesus... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, we don't get to that. And I would say, mm -hmm. if the, in answering your question about the context, my sense is that his context is, well, we don't need the context. We have the Bible. So the context is the scripture verses that he selected and interpreted. Right. And, and you, know, you know, maybe if I was talking with him, he would, you know, I don't know what he would do. I don't think he would say, oh, you know, Greg, those, those verses that you've chose, those are chosen, those are of lesser importance. I don't think he would go so far. I don't think too many evangelicals would make that move. Um, uh, but, but even yeah, no, and and I guess this this ties on a. Tell me if it takes us too far away from where you're going. But one of the things that occurred to me as I was rereading this chapter was this, the word follow. So what mm -hmm. is follow? So he's he's glommed on to follow because it's in Luke nine twenty three, and mm -hmm. said that because Jesus said to do it, we need to do it. He's added on his own stuff, I think, about that if it's not painful, then it doesn't count, or maybe it's not good enough. But what what occurred to me was, I thought of my son, and I thought, you know, do, you know, I don't, in one sense, I want my son to follow who I am and what I tell him to do, but ultimately, I want to have a relationship with him. Exactly. I don't want I don't want to I don't want to raise him up to be quote a follower of John so that when he's old his life will have turned out okay because he quote followed me. Mm -hmm. That would be pretty empty if that's all it turned out to be. And so yes on the one hand I could say yes I'm a follower of a of a certain school of thought or I am a follower in the sense that I agree with and I try to live my life according to mm -hmm. the principles of Christ. But it, it almost feels like he's turned this notion of follower into this like tour guide or this little uh, mountain guide. And, and we're just kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. following him up the trail up the mountain. And, you know, if he puts his backpack on a certain way, then we need to, too. And if he eats certain food, then we do, too. And it's yeah. all about truly following on the path. But if that's all it's about, there's no relationship. And yeah. I, I just wondered if, if maybe he glommed a little too hard on to follow 
and the definition that he's given to that word. I think that's a great idea, John. You know, the whole idea of uh, the whole notion of individuality and creativity is lost. That's nowhere in here. Nowhere is there sort of, you know, different people are going to see this in different ways. Different people are going to respond in different ways. And that's part of the beauty of what, you know, is, is intended, I think, in the kingdom of God. It's not this sort of wooden repetition, this cookie cutter template. You're supposed to be like this and do it like this and da 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 da. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, and sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, no, in the, the I guess the tie in on one sixty eight, um, we never chose to make ourselves less. We fight and claw our way to the top. Should we find ourselves down? It's only because we were forced into that position. We never willingly relinquish our little king. But when the king of kings died on the hill called Calvary, it was an example for us to follow. Now, maybe that doesn't tie in as well as I thought. Well, it's, yeah, but you see, the problem is it all comes back down to this. I think it does tie, it ties in fantastically. You know, because Jesus is. Jesus did it, and so we're following him on the path, and so we need to just do what he did. Yeah, but it's not about that. They make everything into Jesus' death. It's all about Jesus' life. If Jesus died and never came back, we'd have nothing. We'd have nothing at all. It would matter. It would be stupid and ridiculous and be a pile of lies and some some sort of ancient hoax. It's not about death. The death of Jesus has a particular significance because what he did acted to fulfill the covenant, which opened up salvation history to all peoples. It fulfilled the promise that God made before the whole freaking covenant. You know, God's a terrible, he's a terrible bargainer. If you look back in the Genesis, he made a promise before he made a covenant. You don't do that. Silly, silly, silly. What's he doing? He's basically, I mean, that's the commitment of somebody who is not not there to bargain with you, not there to create rules and uh, 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 things for you to follow. It's somebody who is deeply, deeply related. This completely comes back to what you're saying. And we've, we've, we've completely... It's not about Jesus' life. It's about his his death. Pardon me. It's about his life, and that death is significant and has certain significances for us. But if we continually focus on that, no wonder we're losing ourselves. No wonder we're facing ourselves. No wonder we have no originality. No wonder the notion of of personality is not primary. I mean, my personality is primary. Orienting myself, you know, towards God and being in right relationship with God, that personality will be as it should be. I, my personality can be as it should not be. Right? There, there, are, there are ways in which I, it's not some sort of morally neutral uh, situation. That's not what I'm saying. But he's, 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 he's penned us into being these little tiny cookie cutter things. And, you know, when I go back to like 163 and he's got this story about this guy who was an atheist and, you know, his father-in-law, I'm reading, this is the story from the middle of 162 to the end of the first paragraph on 163. The father-in-law to be calls, speaks to with, our author, Kyle Eidelman, and says, you've got to talk to my, my, my daughter's fiancé. He's an atheist. Anyways, this guy becomes a Christian. And the last sentence on 163 is the father-in-law rebuking this son-in-law, saying, I'm really glad you become a Christian, but Jesus never wanted you to become a fanatic. And, and entirely through this book, the only thing we see by way of a cr- critique or cr- criticism is a criticism of inaction, any type of action. That is, that is put forward as I'm following God and I, I'm doing what I should do. And, and, you know, anything on the side of I'm doing, uh, I, I'm rejecting myself, I'm effacing myself, you know, the whole idea of self-care, self-love. And the fact that that's actually a commandment, the fact that that ranks above 
and contextualizes how I treat others is completely ignored. You know, I, th I think this guy, and I'm getting torqued right now. Because this, <laughs> I, this, I was going to set you up so good. It's scandalous. This is scandalous. It is, it is theologically scandalous. It is experientially scandalous. It is interpersonally scandalous. It is totally scandalous. This is, this is a complete crock. I, if, if somebody presented this to me, I would throw it down, spin on it, and walk away. And I am a Christian. You know, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he, that he died, that he was in, in a, a place of torment for, for a period of time, say three days, that he rose again, that he lives, that it is only by and through Jesus Christ that the covenant has been fulfilled and that the kingdom of God has been, has been opened. You know, and salvation history has been opened beyond the Jews to all of us. I believe all these things very deeply. And this guy is, is I would totally reject this. And, and if anybody came to me and said, what do you think about this? I'm thinking of changing my life on the basis of this. I would say, think again. Think again. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. And I would sit, hopefully, I would sit down with them with as much fervor as this guy sat down with that young atheist and talked to him because this is not the way to go. This is not the way to be. This is, this is completely ignoring. If he wants to come and he wants to add on three or four chapters about why, you know, this works in light of the fact that Jesus' burden is, is easy and his yoke is light. Why it works in light of the fact that Jesus came to bring life and life abundantly. How it works in light of the fact that the, the, the two primary commandments above how we care for others and sacrifice ourselves are actually loving God and loving ourselves. If he wants to come and do that work and put that in there and make sense, then at least we can have a conversation. You know, I still might not agree with him, but we could have a conversation. But as it is right now, he's got a Bible that's different than mine. Because my Bible has these sections in it, and, and my Bible seems to think that there seems to put them in front of me in a way that I think is fairly important, and that I can't ignore. And he's managed to do that. Yeah, and I don't think his payoff. I don't feel like either the like where this is all going and what the. So I'm I'm skipped. I'm on one seventy, and it kind of repeats again on one seventy one. It's only by dying to ourselves that we truly find life, and I think you've emphasized that pretty good that we don't agree with the whole. You know. We become nothing. We, quote, when we finally let go of our lives, we find real life in Christ. So, to which I write there, what does that mean? What is real life in Christ? How would he, design, how would he define that? Yeah. And then you go to the last paragraph of the chapter, taking up a cross and dying to myself sounds like torture. We think that such a decision would make us miserable. Is that what it means to follow Jesus? We wake up every morning and commit to misery, but when we die to ourselves and completely surrender to him— there's a surprising side effect to dying. We discover true life. In a tryst of irony, we find that giving up our lives gives us the life we so desperately wanted all along. Well, what life did you want all along? Uh, what it, what, it, what uh, This notion of true life and real life in Christ, what is that? What does that look like? I, I feel like it's just kind of assumed that it's just this wonderful place that we would, and this wonderful notion that we would all agree with. Um... And maybe maybe we would agree with it, but at least in my own experience, this isn't the pathway to getting there. No, you're, you're right. There's no description, and there's no content. There's just no content to it. Like, if it's so wonderful, why don't you just take a chapter and tell us about it? Give us some content. Help us understand that. Flesh that out. What's that like in real life? Give me five examples. You know, and, and you get all these pictures. You get all these transition stories. Which, which in, in Christianity we like to call uh, conversion issues or conversion stories. Or testimony. Right? Testimonies at the end of each chapter. But there's still no content. You know, there's, there's, there's no content. 
a lot of these people talk about, oh, yeah, I went back to a message I heard when I was a kid and I saw something in it. Well, what did you see in it? And what does it make? Like, why is it, what's going on? And, and, and it's, 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 it should be shocking to us, I think, that, that there is no answer to these questions. It should not be simply, oh, there's another book coming or maybe this is unimportant. No, clearly this is important. And clearly it, it, that's, again, I guess for me, to follow my words, another aspect or evidence for this being scandalous you know what what are you talking about if this is something so important and you're trying to put this out in 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 a way that um justifies maybe 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 he just maybe there's something you know i, I don't know i don't i don't honestly believe this i don't believe there's anything that he could do or say that would justify him ignoring so many crucial pieces of the biblical text that speak against what he's saying i, I there just is no no way that you can respect the Bible and ignore it in the way that he has done. It just can't be done. But, but you know, there, there, he might have some great reason in, in his own thinking for doing that, and he might be able to spell that out by saying, you know, here's why I think what I think, um, be, because here's my experience. Here's what comes out of it. Here's what my life is like. Here's all, here are all these things. And yet he hasn't, he's, he's given us so many negative examples, you know, like it's not about wealth and health. It's not about this and that. But nothing, you know... So what's your take on what this does to – so uh, maybe back up a little bit. So I had – I was – someone had a couple blog posts on on why this book was so wonderful and how to change their lives. And I was determined to post some comments explaining uh, – basically respecting the author's experience – but at the same time, wanting to put a real stake in the ground that I didn't think this book was very good. In fact, if you go to Amazon.com and you look at the reviews for this book, I think there's nine one-star reviews. I think every single one of them is spot on. They're not angry. They're not hostile. They're not emotional. They're not personal attacks against the author. But I think they're really clear, like, this is what's wrong with the book. Mm-hmm. So, so a part of me wanted to leave that comment because I'm like, well <laughs> – we can't just leave this message that this book is so good dangling out there. I I don't want all these other people to be misled. But the other half of me just thinks, like some people would say, oh, a book like this, uh, well, people probably end up saying that, that about us, you know, that we are oh, misleading sure. the kingdom and that thwarting God's message and all that. But my my question to you is, can God really be thwarted? I mean, if if when we get to the end of this book, there's no resolution to our concerns, it's... I mean, isn't God bigger than one message from one one horrible message in one book? I mean, or or is there concern that something like this is out there floating around? Well, I guess it depends on what you mean. You know, when you say, can God be thwarted? Because on the one hand, I would say, you know, if you mean by that, can the kingdom of God be fail to come into being? And I would say no. No, it's going to come into being one way or another. Yeah, but but can 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 this church or that church be misled? Can can this person or that person? Can this um, you know thought uh, those who adhere to this way of thinking or that way of thinking um, be very misled and and ultimately be uh, work against the kingdom of God, even though they're Christians? You bet. You bet they can. My overall contention here is that if we really take seriously the idea 
that there is a being of enormous resources, you know, vast resources and enormous intellect, who was, whose, whose sole and complete focus was to thwart the efforts of God, to thwart the coming into being of the kingdom of God, to thwart the grandeur of its realization, would it not be the most wonderful plan to have everyone inside the group that belongs to God, let's say we could call this group the church. We might even, you know, and part of that church, obviously a large part of that church is the evangelical church. Have everybody on the inside thinking that they're doing a fantastic job, that they're doing things the way that they should be doing. And have everybody on the outside who's not connected with that group think that not only is that group odd or whatever, they're totally irrelevant. There is a huge difference between foolishness and irrelevance. Enormous. Our culture, there was a fellow who wrote a book called Metallica Goes to Church or Taking Metallica to Church. It's a Christian author. He went to speak. He was invited to speak to a group of atheists. And you know what the atheists said about their view on Christianity? They weren't mad. They weren't upset. They weren't anything else. They're like, you guys are totally irrelevant. You, you, don't even, you don't even matter, and you can't figure out that you don't matter. Ouch. That is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. To have the people on the inside so cocksure of themselves, and the people on the outside saying, these guys have got nothing. They, don't even, they can't even relate to my existence. I don't even have to feel funny. It's not even a question of, of, you know, this is foolish. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Have a, you know, I might, I, might, I, might, I might mock you. I don't even have to mock you. The disengagement is so complete that if, if I were that being of vast resources and enormous intellect, I would be feeling pretty darn pleased with myself. And I believe that there is such a being. I believe that there is, whether you want to call it Satan, the devil, or, you know, the adversary. I believe there is an adversary who is so endowed and who is so disposed and who is, in fact, so acting and who is, who has, in fact, so achieved that goal. And this is part of that. Now, somebody could say to me, hey, Greg, that's a huge conspiracy theory. <laughs> I'll say so. Yeah, this book was inspired by Satan. Well, I wouldn't say it was in inspired by Satan, but I think I think that part of what's been going on for a very, very, very long time is an inability to connect. There are certain principles of distancing, dispute versus dialogue. Uh, you know, it's like uh, Kyle Eilerman's response to the mother back in chapter, what was that, six or seven. And instead of taking this wonderful opportunity to have a dialogue about Jesus, he, he cuts her down because she's essentially doing the same thing that this father-in-law in this chapter is doing with his son. Don't be so radical, son. Don't be so radical. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's an opportunity for a conversation. It's not an opportunity for castigation. And, and as, until we've got that figured out, we are simply reinforcing this model that there's us and there's them and that, you know, everything on the inside is working honky-dory and it's just those poor non-Christians. I mean, I remember being in a church and he, actually hearing somebody a year ago, the last time I was at this particular church, saying, um, 
It's all those non-Christians hiding from God. You can't hide from something that's irrelevant. Something that's irrelevant is irrelevant. It's simply not. It's a non-issue, non-starter. It doesn't even. It's not even something that doesn't exist. Well, and it's that, just, it's that whole, that's it's that whole notion that that kind of sent me on my journey. Uh, the notion, the way I kind of grew up was it was uh, that there's this God-shaped hole that we all have, and we're all looking for it, but we don't know it. And mm. and the people that quote are in the world that are quote lost. They're so lost that they don't even know they have this hole and they don't even know that they're looking for it, but they really are. Sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. <laughs> and so and and so I had to reconcile my own experience and my own questions and my own complete dissatisfaction with life mm-hmm. with completely non-Christian people that had it more together than I did. Yeah. And See, maybe they do have that hole. I don't know, but it, it it just raised some some questions for me. Of I'm not so sure this is all adding up the way that you think that it does. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think I think on the one hand, in terms of my comment about conspiracy theory, that the Bible is 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 uh, that th- that notion of a conspiracy theory is right there within the notion of that being as an adversary. If you believe in that adversary, you believe that there is a conspiracy to subvert the church, and the the gospels are very very clear on that. They're very clear. So you know you can't back away from it. You have to make something of it, whether you make of it what I do or not. You know that's open to question. But well, yeah, and I think that's where it comes down to doing your homework, and mm. and in the same way that that people could say, well, you know, John and Greg are the are the big conspiracy guys, and and they're leading people off track. Don't take our word for it. Read the book. <laughs> Read the book. Get out a Bible. Mm-hmm. Get out some commentaries. Mm-hmm. And form your own conclusions. And yeah. if you think we're completely out to lunch, let us know. And 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 if, I mean, we're not. We're also not doing this podcast to like you know disprove this conspiracy theory. It was more just I got this book and I started reading it, and there were very familiar messages that I just couldn't quite sign up for, or understand what was wrong with them, and so that's yeah. why we're here. Yeah, it's just kind of working them out and trying to untangle them as we go. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think a lot of it too, is people want to feel comfortable. People want to feel, I mean, if you've got it all together, if your group is doing the right thing, if you're in the, in the right, in the know, then that can feel really good, you know, but you might want to start asking yourself some questions. Where in my life am I critical of what I do? How do I accept criticism and how often do I get it? Do I seek it? If the only criticism I get is a staple criticism of somebody telling me that I'm not giving enough, doing enough, or self-sacrificing enough, how am I balancing this out with how I'm supposed to love myself? What does it mean for me to love myself? What is self-care and how do I do it? All of these questions have to come into play, just like all the questions have to come into play with Kyle. Hey, you're talking about taking up your cross. Yes, you know, I, I hear that. I read that. I see that. But how does that balance out with, you know, my yoke is, is easy and my burden is light. How does that balance out you know, the whole thing about it's about dying with it's about life? I've come to bring life and life abundantly, right? And the whole example of Christ, again and again, the examples we see in the gospel are of him giving life, of him healing, of him giving back. He's not bringing death. He's not dealing death. He's dealing life even in and through his own death. We haven't seen that. You know, and this whole idea of effacing ourselves, we're not reading this in light 
of Paul talking about the difference between adhering to the law and and and, and believing and understanding that it is only through accepting uh, Christ and only believing that Jesus is the Christ is the Messiah. That's how that's how it's that's how we're part of the community of God. That's how we're part. That's how we're God's children, which opens everything up. And it's certainly not about going back to that, you know, the first two things on that list, which really are, you know, three things in terms of Christian priorities, loving God, loving yourself so that you can love your neighbor as yourself. Everything we do has to make sense of those things. If it doesn't, you cannot call it Christian. If those things are the top priorities and the things you're speaking about cannot be made sense of in light of those top priorities, then what you're talking about is not Christian. It's just not. Well, the spooky music means only one thing. This episode's over, but another one's on the way. Thanks for listening to Untangling Christianity. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment at our website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 27. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. And if you're looking for just one more way to give feedback on the podcast, we're running a survey. untanglingchristianity.com slash survey. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thank him for his generosity by supporting him at his website. Tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs>